0: Father, we thank you this morning for being our cornerstone, the one that holds it all together, that we realize, Lord, if, if you aren't the cornerstone, the whole building falls apart, which is a reflection of our lives. Our lives fall apart if you are not central. So, Father, we pray, O oh God, that as we approach your word today, we do so humble, but confident, confident that the gospel will do exactly what it says. The gospel says in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Father, would you move on the hearts of your people today? One word could change the trajectory of our life. Pray that you would transform hearts this morning by your word, by your power. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here, good to be gathered with the people of God. I love Sundays. I love seeing you. You guys look good. will don't you just look at your neighbor and just say, y'all look good today come on don't lie to them, look at the other neighbor and say, you look, you look cute today, brothers y'all don't say that to brothers just saying it's real good to see y'all It really is i i'm'm I'm, uh I, I'm overjoyed to to always be able to stand before you uh, at what I would call this climactic moment of our service, which is the word of God. Make no mistake about it. I love singing, love it, love worshipping Jesus through song, uh, but getting in his word is, is is the is the most important part of our service, and so I'm I'm excited uh, to do that, and I'm eager to do it. So, I want you grab your Bibles and, and run over to Matthew chapter five. Uh, as you turn there, uh, I see Monique here. It's Monique's la- Monique, wave your hand. It's Monique's last Sunday with us. She uh, she's going disobedient, going down to Penn State. <laughs> she got the nerve to be going to get degrees and stuff. But we, we love Monique. She, she's, been, uh, she's been here. She's been faithful, and, and I'm just so excited to, to see her. And, and you guys see her as you're walking out, make sure you pray for her. Make sure you, uh, as the old saints used to do, slip a little something in her hand. That's what the, the old saints <laughs> used to do. But make sure, y'all, make sure y'all pray for her at the least. Um, let, let, me, let me publicly just, just quickly affirm one of the announcements we made, which is our, uh, our last Sunday of being in two services is this Sunday. And so next Sunday, we will be at three services. Uh, somebody say 930, 930. 1130, 1130, and 1:30. Let me, let me just make sure I, I highlight that 930, because y'all be struggling getting here at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so, so I'm worried about that 930. Uh, but seriously, uh, you, you, we're looking forward to really kicking that off really well. Both of our services are, are packed to capacity at this point. And so uh, the, we can't knock down walls. And the only way to continue with the growth of the church is to add another service, which provides more seats for us. And so we will do that. I ask that you guys will bring somebody with you next week. It really is a celebration for us. It, it, it's a testament to Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And you just see the, the, the uh, consistent building of the Lord's Church from when we first started with a handful of people. I also have a very, very important announcement to make to you next week, something I want to lay before you, something that uh, our, our staff and our, our leaders have been working through for the last several months, but I will publicly uh, announce it on Sunday, and all three services I will be announcing. It is something that I think will push us in the right direction going into the fall. Uh, and so I'm really looking for you guys. forward to you guys being here. All right, let's get into the word of God because I'm killing my time. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Why don't you pick me up in verse 38. I'll jump right in. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you, please underline these words on the right cheek. Turn to him the other also. Somebody say that's hard to do right there. Verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs to you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I'm going to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled Resisting Revenge. Resisting Revenge. Somebody said, mmm, <laughs> they brewing up something right now in their heart." Let's uh, let's look to the Lord. Uh, Psalms 119105 says your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Jesus also said in John 17, sanctify them through your truth for your word is your truth. And so, Father, we we we, we don't know how to go through life if we don't apply your word. And so, Father, this morning, I do pray for uh, Holy Ghost boldness to unpack this word. I pray that I wouldn't add anything to it. I pray that I wouldn't take anything away from it. I pray that Jesus' words would be enough for us this morning. I think we're always searching for more and more and more, and let us be settled in the fact of what Jesus says to us today. Father, this is somewhat of a hard text for many of us. Many of us, if we're honest, we wrestle with uh, revenge. And Lord, would you help us to see uh, your words today more clearly so that we can walk in a mature way in which you've called us to do, always growing to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we do pray and give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. I like to think of myself as uh, having an eclectic taste in movies. I like all different types of movies. I, I, I like um, horrors. I like thrillers. I like uh, suspense movies. I like comedies. I don't like romantic movies. I just I don't. I like romance movies. My, my wife, somebody said, boo. My wife loves them, so it causes some friction within our house. Uh, I don't like romance movies. But, but I, I like all different types of movies. The, the movies I like are movies like, I don't know if you've ever seen A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. Such a great movie. Uh, I, I like movies like, uh, for if, if you go to that, you'll also like a movie like, it's completely different, but New Jack City. It's just something about it, rockabye baby. It's just something about New Jack City. I, you know, I, I was younger without the drugs. I wanted to be Nino Brown. I just did. He was cool. I like movies like Ricochet, nineteen ninety-one. Young Denzel, not old, not mature Denzel. Young Denzel, Ricochet. I also like movies uh, like this one. Is gonna sh- uh, shock you a little bit, but Napoleon Dynamite. Come on in here. You you just feel your brain cells dying when you're watching it. But it's a good comedy. I love Napoleon Dynamite. I watched it four or five times. But my hands down all time, like no question, nothing, it's undisputed for me, my hands down favorite movie of all time is The Color Purple. It just is. It's something, it's it's an emotional connection I have to it. I I like the redemption story in it, and I love, love, love Miss Sealy. I just do. There's a scene in Color Purple where uh, Danny Glover and, and old Mr. Johnson is sitting down. Danny Glover and old Mr. Johnson are both sitting down at the porch. And and, and you see Celie is sitting there and old Mr. Johnson got an attitude and he requests that she goes into the, the kitchen to get him some water. And what does she do? She go in that kitchen. She fill that glass up with water and she spits in it. To make it worse, look at the movie. She sticks her finger in the water and swirls it around. She takes it out to him and, and waits for him to drink. It. And he's talking and talking, spills a little bit. And then finally he takes it back to the head and he drinks the whole water. And what does she say in her thinking? She says, she says uh, next time I'm going to give you a little sugar Avery in that glass. And I don't know if you all know what she meant by that. I can't say all of it. It's a little vulgar, a little nasty. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, what she was seeking in that moment was revenge. And it might be comical, it might even be nasty, but the reality is, every single person in this room—I don't care how deep and spiritual you think you are—we all struggle with getting people back. We all struggle with retaliation, and sometimes, like I don't want to—I don't want to make it look like I'm preaching a sermon that is easy for you to tackle or easy for me to tackle. The reality is, sometimes, like this is not for the deep folk. But for those that can just be honest, sometimes cussing people out just feels right. OK, y'all going y'all gonna to be like that on me? Sometimes just telling them off just, just feels good, but Jesus is going to push against that this morning. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, Jesus rebukes that mindset this morning. Now now what, we're, what we get in, in, in Matthew chapter five verse 38 to 42 is Jesus giving us words smack dead in the middle of his most famous sermon, not just his, the most famous sermon of all. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's so, it's so lengthy that he preaches it for three chapters long. Matthew chapter 5, the early part, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he begins this sermon. He doesn't conclude it until the end of Matthew chapter 7. And in the sermon, he's, he's tackling a bunch of topics like how he fulfills the law. He's tackling topics like anger and lust and divorce, and loving your enemies. He's tackling topics like fasting and judging others. And earlier this week, in preparation for preaching, I read through the Sermon on the Mount uh, multiple times. In one sitting, I'll just sit and I'll read Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, and I'll go back again to Matthew 5. And I encourage you guys to do that in your time of devotion. Uh, just read through the words. All, all the words are read. Just read through all of the words of Jesus Christ. But one of the things I notice about three times going through, I noticed that it is impossible, hear me, impossible to fulfill and apply the Sermon on the Mount if you're not in relationship with others. You cannot fulfill or apply the Sermon on the Mount in isolation. I mean, look at the topics he talks about. Lust typically involves somebody else. Divorce involves somebody else. Loving your enemy involves somebody else. Judging others involves somebody else. And in our passage this morning or this afternoon, Jesus is not going to sway from that topic. He's going to talk about relationships. But under the umbrella of relationships, he's talking about Seeking revenge in relationships. And the reality is, yes, you have relationships that you are, want to seek revenge for, but the reality is some of you got family members that you live in the same house and you're seeking revenge from them. Some of you have spouses that you live with and you're trying to seek revenge because they hurt you. And that's, here's the reality. Most of us seek revenge because we want the other person to feel the same hurt that we feel. You hurt me. You broke my heart. And now I want to hurt you and I want to break your heart. So what am I going to do? I'm going to seek revenge. But Jesus is going to push against this idea. He's going to rebuke us through the next few verses. In fact, let's just walk through this and consider it. Let me be honest with you guys that it's a little bit more academic than normal. Uh, A lot of these verses require me to unpack and explain a little bit more than I normally do. So if you guys just bear with me, take some notes, I promise we'll we'll get there. Uh, Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, listen to this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many have heard that saying before? Many of us have heard that saying and didn't even know that it was scripture. In fact, this is not the first time that 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 saying is mentioned. It's mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, Exodus chapter 21, verse 24 is the first time we see it. It's also mentioned in Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 20. This idea, this thought of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is also known as, take this note, the law of lextalion, lextalion, L-E-X-T-A-L-I-O-N, the law of lextalion or the law of retaliation. So in other words, the Old Testament Allowed you to seek revenge, but listen to me. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth never encourages you to seek the revenge, it limits the extent of the revenge. Do you hear me? Let let me try to make this a little bit plain. We've quoted this verse and said, I can't believe she took out my eye, I'm gonna take out two of her eyes. The law of lextelion or or, or an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth limits you because our sinful hearts never wants to take one eye. We want both eyes. Can we be honest in here? A tooth for a tooth. If someone takes your tooth, you don't typically want their tooth. You want a whole row. You want to knock all their teeth out. And so this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth limits the extent of the revenge. It doesn't encourage it. Just because someone took out your eye doesn't mean you have to take out their eyes. It says if you are going to do it, only take one. If you're going to take a tooth because they took one, only take one. But I love Jesus in our passage because even though that was an Old Testament law, Jesus steps on the scene and says, I know the law allows you to take an eye, but I say to you, don't do it. Jesus pushes against the norms and the cultural norms of that time. An eye for an eye, Jesus said, don't do that. A tooth for a tooth, Jesus says, don't do that. But he doesn't just give this to us in Twitter form, 280 characters or less. He goes on and explains what he means. Jesus says, an eye for, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then he says in verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you, I told you to underline this, on the right cheek, Turn to him, the others, what, the, the other cheek. Now, what Jesus is saying here is so deep. Don't miss this. The, this is not just talking about physical injuries. We take this to literally mean if somebody physically slaps me, I am going to physically slap them back. Jesus isn't even talking anything physical here. Let, let me explain what he's meaning here. Notice it says on the right cheek. Now, whenever the Bible talks about right hand and left hand, you never see the Bible talking about the left hand. You always see the Bible talking about the right hand. Now, if we're going to be consistent with Scripture, which never talks about the left hand and only the right hand, if you're standing in front of me, directly in front of me, and I go to slap you on your, left, on your right cheek, in order to slap you on your right cheek, I have to use my left hand. Are you, do, I have to, do I have to bring somebody up to draw this illustration out a little bit? You don't want it, bro. <laughs> I got some built-up anger, bro. Don't let this pastor position fool you. I'm nice with these hands, bro. But, but, but he, he's, saying, he, he's saying if somebody's standing in front of you, to be consistent with Scripture that never talks about the left hand, I have to use my right hand to slap them. Hear me. If I do that, I cannot slap with an open palm. I have to backhand. Now, why is that important? This is why Jesus is so deep. This is deep because... In ancient times, if you backhand slap somebody, it was considered disrespectful and an assault. don't, don't, Don't miss this. Sometimes the assault hurts worse than the physical slap. Jesus is saying, he's not saying if somebody physically harms you to let it go. He's saying if somebody injures you through assault, let it go. are you are you seeing the depth of what he's saying here? Because the reality is every one of us in this room have been injured through somebody hurting your feelings, assaulting you or disrespecting you. But Jesus is saying this morning, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, which means an assault with the right hand, like in, in Jewish times, in ancient times, You would get fined. There were laws that said you would get fined if you open hand slapped somebody with the palm of your hand. You would get fined 200 Jewish coins. But if you did it with a backhand, you would get fined double 400 Jewish coins. Why? Because it's disrespectful. It's an assault. And some of you in this room have people in your life that have injured you by assaulting you, by hurting your feelings. And what we want to do in that moment is get you back. Jesus says, don't get them back. Give them the other cheek. Let him. But he. Now, let me let me also put a disclaimer here that Jesus didn't say and go through life and let people run over you, because th- there's a word in here. That, look at this word. It says, but if that if there speaks to possibility, which means it's possible that if I see the slap coming, I can position myself to get out of the way. Are you hearing me? You do not go through life and allow people to just run over you, assault you, disrespect you. If you see the disrespect, and some of y'all are in relationships, and you've allowed that person to disrespect you, assault you, and hurt your feelings. I'm not talking to married couples. I'm talking to singles. And you say, he does it because he loves me. No, he does not do it because he loves you. And so the, the, the scripture says if you see it if you, if you see it coming, if it's an, a possibility, meaning you can get out of the way. Here's what it's saying. I don't have to give you my number. I don't have to allow you over my house. I can love you from afar. Like, don't use wisdom when it comes to relationships. But if you are assaulted, if, then if you are assaulted, Jesus says, you must turn the other cheek. That This this really talks about a selfless life. And he goes deeper in this idea of living a life that is selfless. Now, when, when I read this, I was like, okay. I grew up you know, in a household. So, so in, in my early 20s, I used to be a teacher assistant. And I was teacher assistant at a behavioral school, which means the kids in the public school couldn't operate in the public school. Uh, their behavior was off. Uh, they, they weren't keeping up with their grades. They were fighting too much in the public school. So they would send them to my school. My school had um, more teachers and more clinical workers, more therapists. And so we would send them to my school and my school would care after them. And during orientation, when I was a teacher assistant, During orientation, it was three days long. On the third day, the principal taught. And her whole, the entire time she taught, she talked on how the school had a zero tolerance for fighting. And she said in this this orientation, if a kid hits another kid and the other kid hits him back, both kids are to be suspended. Now, I took issue with that, because I grew up in a household that you don't go to school and start a fight, but if somebody started a fight, you certainly finished the fight. Anybody grew up like that? Like if somebody hurts you, you got, you got right to hit them back because it's defending themselves. So everything in me was bubbling, and at the expense of getting fired on my first day, I raised my hand and I said, "Miss Principal, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. If a kid hits another kid, and the kid defends himself and hits the other kid back, he shouldn't be reprimanded. And the, teacher, and, the, and the principal said to me, well, the reason we don't do that is because the greatest defense for that kid is for him to tell a teacher. Because if he tells a teacher, the teacher has authority over all the students. Okay, don't miss this. You do not have to fight anybody back because we have a Lord and Savior that has authority over everybody. There is nobody, like there's no jurisdiction that Jesus does not have control over. And so here's the thing. This is not passive. Saying do not slap them back with an insult is not passive. It's actually, it's you being aggressive because you're taking them to the Lord. And this is one thing I found out about Jesus. You don't want me to take you to Jesus. (laughs) Because Jesus gets you way better than I can. And so Jesus has all authority over everybody. And Jesus is saying here, you don't have to defend yourself. You do not have to cuss them out. You do not have to tell them off. You do not have to do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. All you got to do is meet me at the throne of grace and I'll take care of it. So you don't have to defend yourself. Jesus will defend us. Now, he goes deeper in this idea of being selfless. Look at verse 40. This one we have to unpack a little bit. And if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The reason this one typically doesn't make sense as we're reading this is nobody this morning walked in here with a cloak and a tunic on. Corey might have, because Corey's just stylish like that. (laughs) You'll see Corey roll up up with a cloak and a tunic on. But most of us don't know what a cloak and a tunic is. A a tunic is the the, the undergarment. It's the, the garment that was closest to the body. And a cloak is is like the the coat, the outer garment, and cloaks are typically more expensive. Y'all see it with me? Cloaks are typically more expensive. And what Jesus is saying is the law requires that if you got sued, they could take your tunic, your undergarment, but they were not allowed to take your cloak. Why? Because then you would leave the courthouse naked and embarrassed. Jesus is not, now what Jesus is saying here is you need to pursue peace with people that have done you wrong, if it rises to the level of being sued, pursue peace so much that you, you give up your rights. Your right is you can keep your cloak. Jesus says, give them the tunic because that's what you're required to do, but go so far as to give them the cloak as well. In other words, pursue peace at all costs. Be selfless when it comes to pursuing this idea of reconciliation. And some of us have been in situations like that. Like, I don't want to preach and be naive that we've never had lawsuits against us or you've never pursued a lawsuit. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're rising to the level of that type of dysfunction, what you need to do is pursue peace at all costs. Give them your cloak. You're required to give them the tunic, but you need to give them the cloak as well. And what I love about this is, you know, Jesus models for us this idea of being selfless because by nature, We're all selfish like you do know that nobody taught you when you were a child to grab the toy and say mine. Nobody taught you that it was inherited. You knew to do it. And so Jesus is teaching us not to be selfish. You know, second Corinthians chapter five, verse 15. Read that when you get home. It literally says that Christ died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves. In other words, Paul diagnoses all of humanity as being selfish. Jesus says we need to be more selfish, selfless. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to model that for you. I have a right to get off this cross because I did nothing wrong. I have a right not to die for your sins because I was sinless. But yet Jesus goes so far as to die for your stinking, funky, dysfunctional sins. He dies for your sins, even though he was sinless and allows you to walk like you live like him. This is a selfless Christ that we serve that has modeled it for us. In fact, let me put a little Bible there. John chapter 10 verse 18 says it this way. Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. Jesus had the right to take his life back up, but he decided that he was going to lay it down. Why? Here's reconciliation. Because he knew it brought peace between a holy God and a sinful man like you and I. Yeah, you're a sinner. Like I, I'm, you come every week for me to tell you that some of y'all think y'all are good people. Like can, can, there's only one person that was good. and he died 2000 years ago on a cross and he died as though he was sinful like you and I. This is what we call the gospel when Jesus models for us. He doesn't just say, give him your, your tunic because you're required and then give him the cloak. He says it, but he models it. I'm going to give it so far as I'm not going to give my cloak. I'm going to give my life to show you what selfless living is really is. Let's keep going because he's going to pursue more of this idea of being selfless. Uh, but, but this time he's going to show us that every single believer must go above and beyond. Stay with me. Verse number 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, look at this text, go with him two miles. Again, I told you I had to explain a little bit more than I do, typically do. In order to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand the time in which Jesus lived. Now, the time in which Jesus is teaching, a Roman like Rome controlled everything. A Roman soldier could see a citizen in the street, and he, the Roman soldier could be carrying a huge load, a lot of equipment, a huge bag. And if he looked at a citizen and said, carry this bag, you were required by law to carry it one mile. Where do we see this playing out? When Jesus is carrying the cross. And the Roman soldier looks at Simon of Cyrene and says, take the cross. You notice he didn't argue. He didn't argue because he was required by law to take the cross one mile. Look at what Jesus says. You're required to take it one mile. But I say to you, go an extra mile. Like that's hard to do. That is not easy to do. Because there, I noticed in life that there's two types of people. There are one milers. And there are two milers. On your job, there are people that go one mile and you know them. This is how you know a one miler. If if the the clock strikes five o'clock and the project is unfinished, they leave. See, a two miler stays to 515 to finish up the job. And two milers typically get the promotion. Can I just help you? Two milers typically get the raise. And some of you in here, you're questioning whether you're a one-miler or a two-miler. If you're in school and you're satisfied with a C-minus because it's passing, you're probably a one-miler. Because two-milers don't want anything less than an A. Are you hearing me? And I'm saying this because a lot of times when we go to work, we pursue work and don't think evangelistic. Do you know how evangelistic it is for you to go two miles? Like, can you imagine every Christian in ancient times when a Roman soldier said, carry this load of mine for one mile? Can you imagine that person saying, my savior told me to go, too. So I'm going to take it two for you. Every Christian in ancient time did that. If every one of them did it after a while, Roman soldiers are going to be like, who is this savior? Who, who are you like? Who are you obeying? And you kill opportunities for the gospel because you show up to work late one mile. You kill opportunities for the gospel because you got written up four and five times. You on company time playing solitary, and you think you're going to talk to somebody about the gospel, and they've been working double time, and you are doing bare minimum. Christians can't be bare minimum at anything. Like, do you hear me? No matter what you do, maybe it's a business, maybe you run a company, maybe you're just an employee, maybe you're a manager that has employees under you, no matter what your secular job is, do not kill opportunities for the gospel because you're lazy. Don't kill opportunities for the gospel because you only want to go one mile. Don't do it in school either. What we do is read the syllabus and say, I'm only doing that, and I'm guilty. We read the syllabus and say, I'm not going above that. But two miles look at it and be like, I got to do some extra work in here. See, I know it's hard. It's it's contrary to how we think. But Jesus is stretching us this morning. He says, listen, you're required to go one mile. But that second mile, you're not required to. That is selfless living. That that is going above and beyond. You ever heard the term going the extra mile that's straight from Jesus Christ? Bars from Jesus. (laughs) Go the extra mile. And so at, at at your place of employment, Whatever you do in life, you want that raise? They need to see you going two miles because it really does give us opportunity to show that we are men and women of character. But it also gives us opportunity for them to say, like, what is it about you? Why do you work so hard? Because my Savior requires me to. He, they, the law says go one, but I got to go two miles. Now, let's be careful here, though. Just I, I want to put this out there. You need to be careful because. Two-milers are typically criticized by one-milers. Like, they're going to be like, well, who she thinks she is? Why she always showing up on time? Why she always, she making all of us look bad? Because nothing exposes the fact that you went one mile by seeing somebody else go two. Nothing else exposes that like that. And so Jesus is pushing this idea, listen, go more than one mile. Now he's going to push us to generosity. My ending time, I want to talk about generosity because Jesus talks about it. Look at verse 42. It says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The first word of that verse begs for our attention. Give. Jesus is showing us here that he has been, God has been so generous to some of us and some of us are so stingy even though God has given to you. Like we withhold giving and I'm not talking about giving to the church, giving to the ministry He's actually talking about giving to those who beg, giving to those who are in need. And what we do is we like to play a psychiatrist. I'll give to you after I see if you are worthy of my money. Or we play a prophet. I, I know what they're going to do with the money. They're going to go spend it on drugs. How do you know? Like, how do you know? That might be the one meal they eat all day long. And what we do is we see it's 55,000 homeless people in New York. And we see people begging, yet you're sitting on, a, on God's provision and will not give to somebody else. Jesus challenges us this morning. He says, give to the one who begs. And, and, and Jesus models this idea of giving. Once again, selflessly, he models the idea of giving. And here's what I found out about giving. I'm not trying to be prosperity here, but, but I, I, I want to point this out to you. Giving typically helps the flow of receiving. Do you hear me? Write that down. Giving typically helps the flow of receiving. Earlier last year, I went to, I was privileged to go to Israel for 10 days. And the tour guide that, was, uh, that took us around Israel, he took us to something called the Dead Sea. Anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea? He takes us to the Dead Sea. And when he takes us to the Dead Sea, he begins to explain to us how, Uh, the Dead Sea got its name. Now, most people don't know how the Dead Sea got its name. The Dead Sea got its name because there is literally no life in the Dead Sea. There are no fish in the Dead Sea. There is no plants and vegetation in the Dead Sea. It's nothing but a high concentration of salt. Like, it's so salty like, no jokes, it's so salty that it is nearly impossible to drown in the Dead Sea because the further out you get, you start to bob like a cork it literally, the salt and the minerals lift you right back up, in fact I got a picture to prove it, pull that picture up. this is me in the Dead Sea floating, uh, Gabe was supposed to cover up all my glory, got my flesh out here <laughs> But well, this is a picture of me. I don't know how to float. Like, let me just be honest with you. I don't know how to float like a plank. But that's me at the Dead Sea literally floating because the minerals, the salt lifted me right up. Now, they told us, they said, don't taste this water. You can take that down because I'm showing a lot there. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, 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 the tour guy said, listen to me, listen, you're going to you're going to want to do this, but do not taste the water. You taste the water, you're going to be sorry. What do I do? <laughs> I tasted the water. And let let me report back to you, if you ever go to Israel, do not taste the water in the Dead Sea. It literally burnt my mouth. Why? Because it was so salty. Here's the question you should be asking. Why is it so salty? Here's why it's salty. This is a lesson I told you It's a little bit more academic this morning. Here's why it's so salty. The Dead Sea gets its water from the snow caps of Mount Hermon. The snow melts on Mount Hermon and it rolls into the Sea of Galilee. Now, we know the Sea of Galilee has life because when Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James and John, when he calls them, what are they doing? They're fishing. You do not fish in a in a sea that doesn't have fish in it. And so these fishermen know that there's life in the Sea of Galilee. So they're fishing there. And then so what happens is the water rolls down from Mount Hermon. It rolls into the Sea of Galilee. Then the Sea of Galilee has an has a input, but it also has an output. It pours out water into the Jordan River. The Jordan River has life because there's vegetation and there's plants around the Jordan River. So there's life in the Jordan River. Don't miss this. The Jordan River then has an outlet that pours into the Dead Sea. By the time you get to the Dead Sea, everything's dead. There is no life. How sway? How in the world world does water pour from Mount Hermon down to the Sea of Galilee and there's life? And then the water pours from the Sea of Galilee and pours into the Jordan River and there's life. And then the water pours from the Jordan River into the Dead Sea and there's no life. How? Here's how. This is going to mess you up. The Dead Sea has an input. But it doesn't have an output. All of the water sits in the Dead Sea. The sun beams down, dries up the water. You're left with a higher concentration of salt. Don't miss this. The Dead Sea is good at receiving. It is not good at giving. I'm going to say it again. The Dead Sea is good at receiving, but it is not good at giving. I say the third time's a charm. The Dead Sea is good at receiving, but it is not good at giving. And some of you, your lives look like the Dead Sea because you've received, you've received, you've received, and you don't give nothing. But yet Jesus is saying, don't just give anywhere, give to the one who begs. God has been generous to you because here's the reality. You could be the one begging. Okay, let me go to the gospel. And spiritually, you are the one begging. And Jesus decided that he was not going to be like the Dead Sea and not give. And he decided that he would give, but not a check, give his life. So Jesus models this idea of generosity. You do know that one of the songs was talking about how I'm dressed in his righteousness. You didn't get his righteousness because you're so cute. You got his righteousness because he decided to be selfless and give to you. This is the gospel. You cannot stand before God without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can try to stand based on your list of good deeds. You can try to stand based on, you know, doing your good, outweighing your bad. You will be crushed. The only way we stand before a holy God, because, you know, his holiness demands perfection. Like his, his holiness doesn't man, uh, didn't demand that you get a 90 on the test, 100 or nothing. And here's the reality in Jesus Everybody gets 100, and he took the zero for you. This is what you call the gospel. And Jesus says, give to those who beg, but he modeled it by giving his life to the ones who begged, you and I in this room. Every single one of us is in desperate need. How are you doing with retaliation? How are you doing with generosity? How are you doing with being selfless? Even though this is, this is more of an academic sermon, I want you to process it through your own life. When I first said resisting revenge, some of you knew exactly, and you, it popped right in your mind. Lord, I know you're talking about that one person. Because here's reality. You probably haven't spoken to them in years. Or you're brewing up in your heart a scheme to get them back. Don't do it. Why? Because our Savior says don't do it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nothing spooky. I'm not calling an altar call. I just simply want to pray for this room because I I, I know, you know, preaching this topic sometimes feels like it's easy for us to do. I wrestled all week because I know in my heart there are people that did me wrong that I desire to get them back. I desire to hurt their feelings. I desire to insult them. But Jesus says to us this morning, don't do it. Give it to me. Let me avenge. Let me revenge for you. Somebody in here is really struggling. Somebody's struggling because all sermon long, you were contemplating if I was talking to you. Let me just go ahead and affirm it. Yes, I was. I was. I was because Jesus is calling us to a higher standard this morning, this afternoon. He's calling you to a higher standard. He's calling you not to be lazy at work, go to second mile. He's calling you not to seek the revenge. He's calling you to let it go. He's calling you to forgive. He's calling you to pray. He's calling you to be generous. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room because we all struggle. I think we're all in the same boat. Here's the reality, Lord. Whether we've trusted you or not, whether we are Christians or atheists, all of us have this same common struggle of wanting to get people back. And Father, this morning, I, uh, this afternoon, I want to pray. i want to pray for that one person that is struggling here. They were genuinely hurt. I do not want to dismiss their hurt. But Lord, would you call us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. Help us to really apply this word. Help us to really love others. Help us to really be sacrificial and caring for other people. For your glory and for your honor. May Jesus be our model. May nothing else be our model but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave everything for us. It's in Christ's name we pray and give all glory. Let everybody say amen.